Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. Y'all know what time it is. Time for In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Here with you live on a Tuesday night, February the 6th, 2018. I'm Dre, he's Jay. Well, you gotta come right out and say right off the bat, how about the fact that that Super Bowl had no lead-up, no sizzle, no stake, nothing last week to get us excited about this game, and it turns into not just a crazy, watchable, back-and-forth, up-and-down game, but a record-setting game. 1,152 total yards, the most yardage in any game in the history of the NFL postseason, regular season, or otherwise. And the Philadelphia Eagles, after all the smoke clears, after the final Hail Mary from Tom Brady has finally hit the ground. It felt like it took about 45 minutes for that ball to hit the ground, but once it finally did, the Eagles came out on top and beat the Patriots 41-33. to to win Super Bowl 52, Jason, I, I'm i just stunned. We didn't think this game was going to be much of anything, and it turned into the wildest roller coaster ride you could imagine. Yep. Anybody who wanted to watch the Super Bowl tuned in, and the Arena Bowl broke, broke out. <laughs> How about that? that? That's basically what happened. So, yes, you talked about all the no's about the game, you know, no sizzle, no lead up. The, the big one that you forgot, no defense. What? Certainly no defense in this game. Uh, I, I hate to say it because it, it vindicates your stat about the elite passing defense against the elite passing offense, but that game kind of shit all over your stat. Yeah, I, I admit so it. it so, so, so you won the pick. We both won the pick. Um, and you did right. have the Eagles to win. Um, so, but you know, by virtue of the fact that the Patriots were favored by more than they can actually win games by, I also had the Eagles because I just figured that something weird would happen, and lots of weird things happened. Don't get me wrong. Um, that that almost felt like karma for the Patriots. That the Patriots had gotten so many of those what is a catch calls. That the uh, that, that our buddy uh, Alberto Riverone, uh, when he was presented with those opportunities again on the biggest stage, uh, kind of choked up a little. You know, I, I don't know if, if if perception had anything to do with it, but you almost wonder, especially on the Corey Clement touchdown, where it was a touchdown. You know, up until two years ago, for our whole lives, I didn't see enough. Yeah, the ball right. kind of. Yeah, it shifts a little bit. You can break, you know, if you could break anything down into frame by frame slow mo and and see movement and see doubt. But yeah, I thought both of the touchdowns that ended up being reviewed were touchdowns. But I've thought a lot of touchdowns this year that were called 
not touchdowns were touchdowns. And it was when you finally had the chance to see something like, oh, 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 look, it, it moved a little. and We could all get thrown into this whole what is a catch uh, kind of a tizzy that this, this league and this replay system has turned us into common sense, maybe, question mark, kind of took over. And uh, I wonder how much of that had to do with the Roger Goodell comments earlier in the week about his his grave concerns about the catch rule and that it needed to be looked at. I think it got looked at. Immediately. On the fly. In the Super Bowl, touchdowns that were touchdowns were actually allowed to stand. Who knew? Well, unfortunately, I don't think it was common sense. I think, uh, unfortunately, I just think it was fear and, and right. pants shitting stage right they, i don't yeah, want to be the guy i don't want exactly. to be the guy uh, yeah i don't want to have that controversy hanging over me in this stage i've had enough of it i've, he- I've heard it all year long and i'm sick of it my family's sick of it I- i'm just gonna call it a touchdown and let the chips fall where they may that was not a that Corey clement play was not a touchdown three weeks ago it just right. wasn't. No, it was not a it, it was not a touchdown all season. It was not a touchdown by the convoluted rule that we have. Now, four or five years ago and for the you know, the thirty some plus years of our lives before that, that was always a touchdown. That little bit of ball moving and bobbling was yeah. pretty much ignored because it's damn near impossible to keep the ball completely still in your arms when you're jostling and, and bobbling through the air like that. And right. common sense, like you said, common sense used to rule the day. People knew it was impossible for the ball to stay perfectly still. A bobble was a bobble. Hashtag, what is a bobble? We used to know what a bobble was. Now we don't know what a bobble is anymore. We don't know what a catch is. We don't know what a bobble is. <laughs> so I think all of this will carry over to next year. I'm afraid that it might not, but I think it will. I, I think that it, what we had this year and, and last year, the the Zabruder film, the frame by frame, the uh, analyzing and seeing if the ball had even a slightest bit of movement, I think those days are dead. I really think those days died uh, at this Super Bowl and, you know, long live the king. I'm glad they're dead. But, yeah, I, I don't think it was a common sense situation. I think it was just so much uh, reaction from the public, from Commissioner Goodell, from everybody uh, about some of these calls that, that happened this year. Uh, the second touchdown the, that got put under the microscope and the hashtag, what is a catch, which is the Zach Ertz touchdown in which the ball yeah. clearly came out after he crossed the goal line. I think there's a chance that doesn't get called a touchdown in the regular season, even though he clearly took two steps after he caught the ball and turned up towards the end zone and then got hit and cleared the end zone with the ball in his possession. But if you're going to the ground, if you don't complete the process of the catch, then that's incomplete. I think that it it sounds crazy, but I think there's a chance that that would not have been a catch uh, in the regular season. I could see something like the referees calling that incomplete on the field and the, and the call stands upon review because they, they would say there's not enough evidence to overturn. I could see something like that. Uh, But I think both of those plays being called touchdowns. That's a that's a big win for the NFL PR-wise. That's a big win for Al- Alberto Riveron, who uh, I think he just did it to make his life easier. I really think that's all yeah. it was. And, and for anybody out there, 
obviously we were both pleased. I was pleased with the outcome, maybe even more than you, you know, because I've been shitting all over the Patriots. I believe the first thing I texted you was plus four. <laughs> I think that's plus four now. And for anybody who doesn't get that reference, we were crapping all over the Patriots in, in the VIP after show on the last show about the fact that in seven Super Bowls, uh, the Patriots at five and two only had a plus 12 point differential. Well, now they're five and three in the Brady Belichick area era with a plus four point differential. So why do you continue to hate on Tommy? He's the I'm goat. He has five oh, yards. So what we need to put to bed right here on the show, and I haven't heard it put to bed quite this way, the way we're, I'm about to do it. Anybody who thinks that touchdowns not being called incompletions or fumbles or whatever um, would have somehow changed the outcome of the game. Those people weren't watching the game because the Patriots showed nothing to tell you that had those just been incomplete, that they wouldn't have just given up the booty anyways. Yeah, the Eagles would neither one of just ran another neither one of those yeah. thrown another touchdown to Nick Foles. Neither one of those was a fourth down. Neither one of those was in a crucial moment. Uh, none of those plays came at a moment in the game that would have necessarily stopped the outcome. So those plays being incomplete means that the, the, the Eagles would have just kept on moving the ball down the field at will as they did the entire game. I mean, the only reason the Patriots basically completely outgained the Eagles, they had a whole drive more than the Eagles had. If the Eagles would have had the ball again and been able to go another 75 yards, we would have had exactly, but both teams at 600 yards of offense. So it, it was just a, it was the arena bowl or, or college football. I mean, it was, it was not what you would ex- expect from a Super Bowl. It was, it was entertaining as hell. And it was an offensive explosion. But was it good football? No. But it was entertaining. No. It, it was it was definitely entertaining. But it was not good football. It almost looked like the future of football to me in this respect. I really, ha- and I've been, I've said this uh, on previous shows throughout the years. I think the NFL is going to look co- uh, totally different in about uh, ten or fifteen years. Uh, as more and more concussions uh, occur, it's more and more cases of chronic traumatic encephalopathy occur, and as more and more lawsuits occur, the rules will change and football will look different than it does today. And if you think there's less hitting now than there was back in the in the olden days uh, because of all the rule changes, you just wait because I think it's going to be almost no hitting by the time they fix the game to, to where playing defense is almost going to be illegal. Uh, I think it's going to look a lot like this. The, the Patriots, the problem, the reason I was picking against the Patriots all year is because their defense looks like that now, where defense, it looks like defense is illegal when they take the field. And that's not a championship team that has the defense that bad. And they were bad all year. They were bad from opening night, as everyone should remember. They were bad all throughout the year. They tightened up in the red zone uh, as the year went on, which is a credit to, I guess, Matt Patricia and Bill Bill Belichick. But they certainly loosened up in this game, although give the Eagles credit, they loosened them up. They didn't just loosen up. The Eagles went for it 
before they could get to the red zone, the Eagles kept bombing away and, and getting big touchdowns from way back from before they even could get to the red zone and tighten up. They got 40 and 50 yard touchdown passes, which I think is the key uh, to a to a defense that has shown a tendency to 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 bunker down uh, when it's time to to stop the the points from happening when you get to the red zone. Just go up top before you get to the red zone and beat them that way. And and they did it over and over and over again. But this is this Patriots defense was was just bad. I mean, it was this was all time bad what they did uh, against the Eagles. But it was bad all year long. Uh, and they you can't look at Tom Brady and and the offensive side of the ball and blame the loss on them. It's really is all about the defense for the Patriots. Yeah, and you know now that we have history in the rearview mirror, and we can and look back at sort of the totality of the playoffs, the Patriots beat the Titans and the Jaguars to get to the Super Bowl. They, they were never go. They didn't play a team with any offensive competency, and they come in and they play an Eagles team, even with Nick Foles. It had a tremendous amount of balance. I mean, because the Eagles still bought, brought the ground game. And I remembered when we were talking about the Super Bowl making the pick, talking about the fact that, you know, the Eagles weren't just a one-trick pony, kind of like the Jaguars were, where they were just going to, you know, there was going to be these one-yard handoffs, with, you know, and they were just going to completely turtle and, and, and just crap the bed because they didn't know what to do with a lead or any way to get back into a game once they gave up the lead. The Eagles were relentless for the whole game. They played into Nick Foles' strengths, and they and they got a tremendous amount of production out of their running backs. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt ran for 90 yards. Jay Ajayi uh, added on another, it was almost 60 yards. And then you had Corey Clement catch 100 yards. He was the leading receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm just happy that two of my previous X-Factors both came up big in the game, too. So I got to pat myself on the back a little bit there for for some of that, sure. Corey Clement and, and Will Garrett Blunt. Uh, you know, Corey Clement I had as my X-Factor back in one of the previous games. I'd highlighted on him a bit. Um, and he did fill that, you know, Darren Sproles role, um, you know, because he was the guy who benefited the most from Darren Sproles being injured. Um, and even, and even as that third or fourth running back uh, made a big difference. But then you also saw the power in the ground game that the Patriots lacked. So the Eagles still oh get Tom, Tom Brady through Tom Brady threw for 500 yards because he had to throw for 500 yards. If Nick Foles had to throw for 500 yards, he probably would have, but he didn't have to. No doubt. And that was the, di- that was the difference. Yeah. That those three guys, Ajay and Blunt and Clement, I think that's the hardest running tandem of running backs for one team in a single game that I've ever seen ever. And I'm, you know, it's, it's hyperbole, I understand, but really, I'm thinking about it, and I, I don't think I've ever seen a harder running trio of backs in the same game. That game, they they run hard anyway. I mean, my God, it's not like I'm saying Laguerre Blunt and Jai are lightweights, but in this, even in, even more so in this game, they ran, they laid the wood, man. Every time they got to a tackler, they started lowering their shoulder and trying to run them down. They were absolutely laying the lumber, so that was really fun to see as well. That, that uh, I don't want to go down the the cliche road of saying the Eagles played harder, they wanted it more, and all that. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a matter of having 
the muscle and having the guys that run hard anyway. And then they sort of did crank it up a notch on this day. We knew Blunt would be out for blood against the Patriots after they cut him. Uh, we know how hard a guy runs. We know how lucky he has to feel being a Dolphin for the last couple of years and then getting this opportunity uh, in the Super Bowl, which he knew he wasn't going to get in Miami. Uh, you knew he was going to come out and, and perform. Uh, but, man, they were they were running so hard, and the Patriots just had no answers for any of that. Yeah. And, and while we talk all about the offensive explosion, we should. Let's not overlook the fact that and you even you even posted it on your uh, I believe it was on your Twitter at one point that you know first team to make a defensive play might win the game. Well, we had one defensive play. There it is in the There's entire one. game, one, and it was made by the Eagles on the strip sack of Brady, and that was a in, in a game that goes forty one thirty three. That that's all you need it was the only sack of the game by either team. Nick Foles never got sacked. Tom Brady was under pressure, uh, and it went directly to your stat about how much uh, pressure the Eagles apply because they did get pressure on 40% of Tom Brady's dropbacks, but he was so locked in, it didn't matter. I mean, it wasn't really causing him to be off the mark. I mean, some of his in, some of his incompletions came from that, but for a team that didn't punt, it didn't make a world of difference in the overall outcome, and especially in his on his way to putting up you know 500 plus yards passing. But when the Eagles needed to play, they were up by five. They got one, one play, and it it turned out to be the difference maker. So the defense did nothing for the majority of the game. Their pass defense that. That top pass defense, or, or whatever they were, I believe fourth in passing defense, it didn't matter because both teams looked DFL in pass defense for this game. <laughs> it, it was crazy. It was it was a circus. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it. Yeah. No. I mean, even you know, trick plays. I mean, first you have Tom Brady going out in a pass pattern and has the ball, you know tip off of his fingertips. Then you have the page, uh, the Eagles on a fourth and goal go right back to a trick play, throw, throw back to Foles for a touchdown. I love how Twitter instantly exploded with the, our quarterback is a better receiver than your quarterback. <laughs> um, it almost became like a meme, you know, and, and apparently that's what sad Tom Brady has now become. You know, there's been a lot of superimposing of of crying Michael Jordan on Tom Brady's yeah. uh, jersey. Um, yeah, you know, and yeah, we've we've piled enough on the Patriots. They they played offensively a wonderful game. They did not lose because of their offense. I'll get that out there. If the Patriots had somehow been able to pull that out, Tom Brady would have won MVP. There was a case to be made that he was the MVP, anyways. But it's kind of hard not to give it to the winning quarterback who also caught a touchdown in the game. And it was I'm a backup. I'm to hear you give any praise or any love to Tom Brady. All the hating on Tommy, but you, you had to admit, had a hell of a game. He threw for, he threw for 505 yards. <laughs> it's hard to deny that. And, it, you know, in the, a lot of those early – a lot of the yards that he piled up, I would say, for about the first two and a half quarters was a lot of yak. Ton- so there were a lot of balls that he was throwing that were those typical Tom Brady five-yard throws that the receivers were then, 
you know, running up for, for another 40 yards. But in the second half, in that comeback, he was dropping some dimes. I mean, he played a great game. Now, the Eagles were never getting home, and that we, we know that that's the way that you get to Tom Brady. So it's not surprising that he was putting up all those numbers, given the fact that the Eagles were not getting home with the pass rush at all. No, the surprising part was the DBs weren't making the plays on the receivers. They were just no. out to lunch, it seemed. Yeah, and the Eagles didn't bench their best corner either, so I don't know what their problem was. Well, that leads me to my uh, grand point or my big takeaway from the game. Which, you know, I'm not here for the controversial statements necessarily, but when it comes to me or when it appears obvious to me, then I'll go ahead and make the statement. So here it is. I'll make my statement now. I think the Brady-Belichick era is over. I think the championship runs are over. I, I did not imagine his team making it this far to begin with, and now they've made it and, and put forth a heck of an effort and still came up short. But what I also think is I think the, the geniusness of Bill Belichick, I think that bubble got burst as well because – some of these decisions he made were just stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, great, greatest coach of all time. Um, one could possibly argue that, but I'll, I'll go ahead and anoint him. It's unbelievable what he's done in this era with all the free agencies, uh, kept that core intact and, and had a lot of moving pieces as well, uh, but still managed to get back and get to eight Super Bowls. Um, but my God, I, I really think we witnessed the start of his descent uh, as a football genius. He cut your X Factor, LeGarrette Blunt, who made them pay all night long, which we thought he might do that. He benches the starting cornerback, Malcolm Butler, and gave him zero snaps in a game where the New England defensive backs got lit up like Times Square and could have really used a Super Bowl hero that has that has made a big play or two uh, in his career. Uh, he gave him no snaps, no defensive snaps. Gave him one special team snaps. And we're supposed to just accept that because it's coach and he's the greatest of all time. And he just played the men that gave him the best chance to win, like Eric Rowe, who got toasted like pine nuts over and over again. That's Belichick. That's him. He He, he has to wear that. And there wasn't much adjustments being made uh, after Brandon Cooks uh, took a nap on the field and went to bed. There wasn't really much anything replacing him. You know, Philip Dorsett was there, but he wasn't really there. He was just just a guy running around pretending to be Brandon Cooks, but he obviously is not Brandon Cooks. There wasn't uh, anything that he did to really replace that deep threat. And what happened was Brady started having to manufacture and force some of those deep balls. And I really think that should have been his downfall. They shouldn't have even been uh, as much in the game as they were, except the, the Philadelphia defensive backs had a really bad game. And But I don't think it was something that, that Belichick did to, to figure things out after Brandon Cooks went out, because that deep game was, was supposed to be a, a big weapon for them. And, and I don't think it was – I think Brady was forcing a lot of those – big throws that they that they got, and, and they just happened to uh, complete some of them. If you look at the completion percentage of Brady, it wasn't very high. A lot of those 
big plays, a lot of that yardage came from just trying big plays over and over again and trying big throws over and over because they were sort of desperate. Um, and, and the third one would work. You know, the, the third down big throw would work. The first two wouldn't wouldn't necessarily work, but the, the third down one would. Uh, so as, as awesome as Brady was, as much yards as he had, he actually wasn't uh, very efficient. And I think that's coaching as well. Uh, let's not forget and does not absolve Belichick of some of the silliness, uh, such as the, uh, the the fake reverse on the kickoff return on the Patriots' last possession, which looked like it very easily could have been fumbled because that, that exchange wasn't exactly clean. And the, the play was stopped as it was at the seven-yard line, backing the Patriots up uh, big time. And they really could have used that extra yardage that you get from a standard kickoff return. That's Belichick, too. That's Belichick trying to be way too cute. Uh, I, I don't even want to. I, I won't even go on uh, and, and slag him for the Brady uh, pass, uh, the, the double reverse throw to, to, to Brady because he was open, and it sure looked like if Brady would have extended that, that chewed-up, laced-up thumb of his if he'd have extended that right hand a little more. It looks like he had a play on the ball. It looks like he, he could have hauled that in. Uh, it looked like he kind of short-armed it a little bit because oh. his, his right hand maybe wasn't uh, 100%. Or did he go, well, uh, did he go a little? Did he go a little Rick? Did he go a little Ricky Waters there? For who? For what? Well, I, I mean, he was wide open. There's nobody around yeah, him. Um, I, I just think he didn't ball it in because he didn't want to risk that hand getting beat up a little bit. I, w- I won't even give Belichick hell for that because it looked like a play that worked. Some of those other decisions, that man, that's not a, a, a genius decision to bench Malcolm Butler. And now all the news that has come out since then, where you got sources saying that Butler was benched for doing some off the field things or breaking some team rules and Butler basically coming right back and saying, no, I didn't. Nope. Did, did not do any of that. My team just, just quit on me. They just, they, they lost faith in me. And so now we got the back and forth. Belichick could clear that up real easily by explaining what's going to happen. He's never going to do that because he's above all of us because he's Bill Belichick. But uh, I, I think that geniusness bubble got burst. I think he's made some incredible moves. I think he's made some brilliant moves. And like I said, I'll still call him the greatest coach of all time. But I, I think the, the, the geniusness is burst. And I think the, the reign of terror is over. I don't think the Patriots are winning any more rings under them. Yeah. And sometimes this is something like, this is what it takes. I, we may have felt the same way last year had Atlanta been able to put the dagger in the Patriots, mm. with, you know, and not blow the 28 to three um, or had, Daryl Bevel not called an inside slant at the end of a Super Bowl. So you, you kind of keep wondering, you know, what's going to be the other shoe to drop with the end of a dynasty and losing, giving up 41 to a, a backup quarterback. That, that might do it. And, and people, oh, don't call Nick Foles a backup. He's a backup quarterback. Yeah. He's a backup He's retired. What would Carson Wentz have done to this team? <laughs> oh, man. Because then you wouldn't have six. just had you wouldn't have just had the the throwing dimension. You would have just pulled it down and taken off and you know started ripping off twenty yard runs of his own, uh, as he would be known to do, or look like he was totally sacked and then just come up with some crazy arm angle for some spectacular play. 
the Patriots were were ripe to be had. The whole Malcolm Butler thing, I I can't even begin to understand. And like you said, it's probably one of those things that we will never know. It sounds like the players. I mean, even even Tom Brady. Excuse me, even Tom Brady after Malcolm Butler put out his statement, Tom Brady responded, backing him up. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's not a good sign for Mr. Belichick. Nobody's treating him like the reason they lost. Nobody's saying, oh, yo, Malcolm Butler, he didn't pull a Eugene Robinson here, right? Ooh, I sure he, he wasn't. That. He wasn't, you know, banging hookers. That we could know because we all found out about that. You know, he, he wasn't right. propositioning hookers for, you know, undercover officers for sex, getting busted the night before the Super Bowl. You know what, Eugene Robinson, he still played and gave up an 80-yard touchdown <laughs> to Rod Smith. And, and everybody will universally, you know, look at Eugene Robinson. Therefore, he was one of the inaugural members of the Hall of Infamy. Malcolm Butler, I don't think, is going this direction. Now, from an X's and O's standpoint, and in a 41-33 to 33 game, we can point to all the things at the end of the game. But from a, from a strategery standpoint, what made no sense to me was the opting out of going forward on fourth down at that moment when they were down nine to three I'm um, talking about the Patriots they opted for a field goal that then gets snapped through the hands and the legs of the holder and then Gaskowski kicks a sideways slanted ball and it almost knuckles back but ends up hitting the goal post and, and, and again it was very unpatriots it was very unbelichick they lost their aggressiveness and you saw all the aggressiveness from Doug Peterson. I've never seen a team be that aggressive and and come out on the right side every single time. But that's what it was going to take. That's what it was going to take for them to win the game. They were hyper-aggressive, and everything they tried was gold. Some of that was probably because the Patriots' defense was a sieve and, and was offering no resistance. But it also was the idea that they were going to go for it. And I don't think I didn't. You never got the sense that they just decided on the fly to go for it. I think their mentality going into the game was, "We are going to go for it. We are not going to get, you know, twenty-eight to three in this. You know, we are going to just put our foot on the throat and keep going. We're not going to do what the Jaguars did. We're not going to do what the Falcons did. We are just going to keep coming after these guys." And they put so much pressure on the Patriots. The Patriots couldn't respond, but. I did not understand at that moment when the Eagles were clearly showing that they were willing to go for it and do whatever it took to win the game, that the Patriots only down nine to three, get down inside the 10 yard line and then opt to try to kick a field goal that would have made it nine to six. Um, It's easy to have that hindsight, but we ended up having 74 points scored in the game. Go for it. Just go for it. Everybody was going for it. And, they, and, and, and what was so out of character for them was they were going for it in those situations all the way through so far. And then there they are opting for, for field goal attempts. I didn't get it. Yeah, Philly didn't come to kick field goals. That uh, Philly special to, to Nick Foles, the throw, the double reverse throw to Nick Foles oh, yeah. for a touchdown. Uh People probably won't remember that was on fourth down, so they could have kicked the field goal there and decided decided up. Oh, no, yep. we we didn't come here to kick. We didn't come here to kick field goals. We didn't come here to go for three. We we came here to yep. win. So 
all credit to Doug Peterson and, and his stones, man. Those are some some big ass stones that he displayed, and uh, yeah, just kept going for it over and over again. You're right; they came in thinking this is our chance, this is our moment. We shouldn't be here. We got this this guy Foles uh, as our backup quarterback, and we found a way to piece it together and, and put together a couple game plans to get him to win a couple games that uh, that we were underdogs at home for those two. Now here we are, even bigger underdogs. Uh, we got to go for it. This is the moment, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna be the Atlanta Falcons. We are going to go for it, and we're gonna go take it from them. And that's what you're supposed yeah. to do against a defense that's that bad. Yes. Contrasting the previous game, did you notice that the the Eagles dominated most of the first half? The the Patriots get the touchdown to make it 15 to 12. After they miss, so you get the touchdown to make it 15 to 12. And then there's under two minutes left to go in the half. Do you know, did you notice what the Eagles did not do? Well, they didn't take a knee. They didn't take a <laughs> knee. They didn't take a knee and go to halftime. Whew, we got the lead on the Patriots, guys. Let's just all go be happy like the Jaguars did. No. The Eagles no, said, man, fuck this shit. We're going to take the ball, <laughs> and we're going to go and do what we've been doing to you for the entire first half, and that is the drive that culminates with the Nick Foles touchdown reception. No fear. And and, and, and I will give – we have to give full credit for, to the Eagles. It wasn't the refs. It, 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 you know, even with the Malcolm Butler thing, I don't want anything hanging a cloud over what we witnessed, which was the Philadelphia Eagles and Nick Foles, who everybody had left for dead and was a – dog the whole time through the playoffs even we weren't on board oh, no. completely that they went and they put up you know 530 some yards of offense on the new england patriots and a 40 burger they, they, they earned it <laughs> you're right folks had no fear all game long unlike bortles the the eagles coaching yeah. staff had no fear all game long unlike the jaguars I think the Eagles learned the lessons of a, a number of people in the grave. It's, it's almost like the undertaker and all the bodies that he's buried. If I can once again, use a wrestling term, uh, you learn from the mistakes of the people that got beat before and you put it together against when you get your shot, you go, well, we're not going to be the Falcons. We're not going to be the Jaguars. We're going to do what we got to do to come all the way through and, and win this game. And that's exactly what the Eagles did. Yeah, and I and one of the other things I think that you'll also have will have to chalk up to the fact where I agree with you that we are probably at the end of this Patriots sort of dynasty. It doesn't mean they're they're over being relevant. I mean they they, they may linger on for a couple of years here, but I just don't know if we're going to see them at this level anymore. And, and one of the things I think now that we have history is the blueprint is there. It was just the execution has been lacking. But we have seen – we saw Atlanta do it. We've seen Philadelphia do it here. We saw the Jaguars and the Texans. You've had all these people try to do it. And they've almost all universally tried to do it the same way. The Eagles figured it out. Man, what you got to do is you, you, you don't, for, you know, they didn't even get the whole, the whole pressure thing with Tom Brady and all that. They did for the one play at the end of the game. They figured out is just got to go out there and outscore the Patriots. Go for it every That's, time you can, you got a chance. Just just go you know, and, and they had the talent to do it. 
and that was you know when we talked about the pick in the game, we talked about the amazing amount of balance that this Eagles team had, and you know we we overlooked that clearly when because everybody wrote this team off when Carson Wentz got hurt, but you know now again we have the whole season and, and the to- sort of finality of everything to go back and 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 sort of give the assessment. They still had Blunt. They still had made the trade for Jay Ajayi. They still had Clement, who was just every every week becoming more and more vital in the passing game for that team. That having that, and like you said, that the almost unstoppable stable of receivers that they had, two running the ball and the other one almost unstoppable in the passing game. I mean, you have Corey Clement go four for a hundo backfield. That's pretty impressive. And it takes and, the whole team to do that. It was the blocking as well. The the Eagles blocked so excellently the entire the entirety of the playoffs, really. Uh my my X Factor, my my guy Vitae, I'm not gonna sprain yeah. my tongue and try to do his first name again, but he hung in there. Now look, he didn't play a, a perfect game. He didn't even play a great game, but he, he played his ass off. He tried like hell. Uh, Trey Flowers, James Harrison, they were all trying to overpower him all game long, and he just barely held up enough. You know, he wasn't just stoning those guys, but he was just hanging in there long enough to give Folds just enough time to execute and do what he did. It wound up that the, that Folds and the Eagles wound up beating the Patriots. They sort of played like Tom Brady and the Patriots in that they they won because Folds kept making – quick decisions and quick throws before the defense could make any adjustment. And, and that's really the the key to the Patriots is all those option routes that those receivers run. It, it's all about the speed and the quickness and the timing. And, and Brady has been honing that for years with his targets where they, they execute and do what they got to do before the defense can react and respond. And in a very short amount of time, Frank Reich and Doug Peterson coached up Nick Foles and, and, and his targets to react and do what they had to do quicker than the defense could react to them. Uh, and they were able to, to get it done in the Super Bowl once again, helped out immensely by the fact that the Patriots defense sucks. Yes. I mean, which goes all the way back to the beginning of the season. I mean, when, when, when we made the pick for the Super Bowl, you referenced week one, you referenced the game when Alex Smith completely torched the Patriots and it made enough of an impression that that still was in your mind about how bad that defense had the potential for being. And there it was. Um, the other thing that, that, that came up sort of in the, the aftermath of the game, you know, through the interview processes and talking to the coaches and talking to Nick Foles. And I, you know, I appreciated a lot of the after, uh, a lot of the after show stuff and Kevin Hart's F bomb. I appreciated that. Um, that made it live on air. I got to hear that unfiltered the first time. I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that happened." Um, but you could, you could. I mean, he came on to the interview basically like admitting that he was drinking and he was excited, and yeah, you know, th- something slipped out. And then, and I give the the crew credit because they just kind of let it roll. He's like, "Okay, yeah, that happened. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep asking questions about the football game." And uh, that was that was one of those just you know happy moments. You kind of have to let that go. I'm sure NFL Network will pay their their five thousand dollar fine or whatever it is. But what one of the Man most interesting his things? Finger at that bouncer like he was about to try to fight him. Like <laughs> he 
Kevin Hart almost got eaten alive on television. Yeah. That guy was about to yeah. eat him. <laughs> the the thing that came out though that was the most impressive when they were talking about the, the coaching staff with Peterson and and Frank Reich, guy who knows something. Hey, you know, Doug Peterson knows about being a backup, right? He was a career backup, and Frank Reich, also a career backup, also knows something about comebacks. Well, he knows something about putting up huge chunks of yards through the air. Yes, yes he does. He also, he also knows about huge comebacks. And, you know, and having been a part of, even though he had the one in the Super Bowl, I'm always going to be more fond of that Houston Oilers-Buffalo Bills comeback. Um as as one of the as one of if not the greatest comeback because that that was something the, the one in the you Super watched Bowl that game live I, I remember I watched it live yeah absolutely watched okay. that game live you know no Jim Kelly no chance no chance right. <laughs> Warren Moon's gonna kill him <laughs> that's right it was it thirty five to three I believe. Something ridiculous. The thirty-two point comeback, but what, what what basically came out of all of that was that Doug Peterson and Frank Reich weren't stubborn in their coaching. They weren't. They didn't out genius themselves. They actually sat down Nick Foles and found out from Nick Foles what he's good at, what he likes to run, what plays he's successful in. I, I he picked some good ones. That's all I know. But they they clearly found out what players? he was. Yes, I know. You can tell that this is a second-year coach. Right. <laughs> he's, he hasn't, not, he's not jaded yet. <laughs> right. But they actually sat down with the backup. It didn't just go, you're going to run our system. That's it. And if you don't, you know, they actually sat down with the quarterback and said, well, Wentz is gone. Now we got to get you into our offense. But we also want to change the offense to fit what you do really well. And they sort of molded away from a Carson Wentz offense into the Nick Foles offense. And that thing just kept getting better and better. Look at the way they progressed through the playoffs against Atlanta. Efficient. Didn't do anything to lose the game. It comes out against the Vikings, the number one defense in the league, and just shreds them. You know, and that's, that takes... that's the game. <laughs> yeah. What they did to Minnesota, who had been so solid all year long. What they did to the yeah. Patriots isn't shocking to me because the Patriots suck. What they did to to Minnesota was like, whoa! Look at these guys. Is it the same team? Oh my god! So that that was it right there. That's what convinced me to pick them to win the Super Bowl was the way they yeah. did that to the Vikings. Yeah, and again, we talked about that the the fact that the Patriots had to run through the Titans and the Jaguars. The Eagles beat the Falcons and the Vikings. That was a much tougher draw. And then they went in against a no-defense team in the Super Bowl and just kept going. The Titans melted right from the get-go. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. The Jaguars well, beat their the ass up. <laughs> the Jaguars gave the them a Jag- game. The Jag, the, yes, and that was and the that Titans, sort of the Titans were melted when butter. You, when you look at it, though, the, you know the Patriots had to escape beating Blake Bortles. And the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> the Eagles went on the road. Well, actually, no, they were at home. No, the Eagles were home dogs twice. The Eagles were at home. They were home dogs. But they were at home, and they, they still beat the number one defense in football by 31 points. Sure did. So, 
I get, you know, again, you look back on it all and you go, well, yeah, I guess it all kind of, kind of does make sense. Now we were both on board with the Eagles. We didn't, neither one of us, because you had already sewn it up. I did, I, you know, one or the other of us didn't have to make a case for taking the Patriots. So if, you know, if there's a reason sometimes why you, why you don't mind that the contest was over, at least we can both say that we, we had the Super Bowl right. Exactly. We we both definitely had the Eagles in the points, no doubt about it. Yes. You know, and I, I, I thought that something strange would happen that would knock the Eagles out of it. I thought it would be the crazy P.I. call or the silly what is a catch or – you know, none of that all, all of ended it. up coming to. We we did have it. We didn't have the silly pass interference. Uh, there was only one. You're right. Point. There was only one point where there was a, uh, and it's when the Patriots were down early. It was sort of that low point for the Patriots. They ended up getting a, a really kind of ticky tack defensive holding on the Eagles that 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 kept a drive going for them that would have stopped a drive. It always seems like it's on third down when the Patriots get these calls too. Um, but that uh, that was really it. Uh, other than that, I thought the game was fairly well officiated. I didn't see a lot of there wasn't they, they were they were swallowing the whistles when it came to holding. They weren't calling any pi, even though there were on both sides plays where they may have seen a flag come flying out during the regular season. But they let, they let those guys play uh, in the secondary. So I don't think that there was anything going on there where there was anyone that was blatant or more so than another. Um, you know, the Eagles yeah, were complaining a lot about, uh, the Eagles were complaining a lot about Gronk with offensive pass interference, just pushing dudes around. Well, as always. Yeah. I mean, nobody, is, that, is anybody ever going to remember the, the, the fact that the, the Eagles on the Hail Mary at the end of the game just completely jacked a dude up at the 20 yard line? That happens every time on a Hail Mary. <laughs> but it wasn't in the end zone. Dude just running down the no. I think it was Hogan just running down the field and the Eagles defender that was standing there was like, uh uh-uh, uh, bam, and just knocked him like <laughs> off the screen. You see the end zone view of Gronk running down the field, and you just see Chris Hogan just completely like disappear off the screen as one of the Eagles defenders at about the twenty yard line just chucks him to oblivion. But then Gronk runs down into the end zone and just completely shoves the Eagle guys out of the way. So again, it's on the Hail Mary, so nobody's ever going to call anything like that. But you're watching what, like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let them play, I guess. I made note of the one time where I thought the uh, the bad P.I. could have come out, but it didn't happen. Most people will not remember after Brady short arms that triple option whatever pass to himself. Uh, that he, he sort of alligator armed the thing. The very next play after that was fourth down, and the Patriots went forward and made the long, bad, terrible, wobbly throw uh, for for Gronkowski down the sideline. And he went up for it, and there may have been a little contact, but it wasn't called. And credit to Jalen Mills, who was disciplined enough to not try to tackle Gronk before the ball got there, to not overreact to him going up for the, the, the ball that was clearly thrown short. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't know if Brady's throwing these balls short on purpose or if his, if he's having the, the Peyton Manning disease. Because that first half, he threw some some really ugly-looking balls. So he looked like he had the rag arm out there. 
So I, I, there's another reason I think the dynasty is falling. I don't think Brady's uh, – I think he's starting to age right before our eyes, and, and despite the 500-yard game, uh, some of those throws are just awful. But uh, give credit to Jalen Mills. He knew about the bad P.I. and the bad throws, and he was able to, to hold off on the contact and not let Gronk draw the, 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 the flag on him right there. So yeah, they, they tried it. Times, they tried it. There were a few plays where – you know, in, in watching the highlights, it's sort of reassessing everything where you could have seen a flag come out possibly against the Eagles. But in every instance, the Eagles, to their credit, were playing the ball right, and trying to make a play on the ball. And a lot of times these refs will allow the play if the defender is consciously aware of where the ball is and is trying to make a play to the ball. When you see the flags come out, it's when – the defender's not looking at the ball, and he's just swatting at the at the receiver, and, and he's just all up in his grill, and he's hitting his arms, and you know, and he's tugging him down to the ground, and that's when you see these flags come out. Now, a lot of that stuff was still going on, but it was all in in the service of the defender with his head towards the football, trying to make a play and swatting the ball away, looking yeah, if for the making football. a play on the ball. They will they will go ahead and let you do that, and, and even on the Gronkowski on the one. There was the Gronkowski one that you mentioned. There was a, a play on Gronkowski earlier in the game uh, where they swatted a ball away in the end zone that prompted uh, the Patriots to, I believe, kick a field goal. It, it, so a lot of that was, you know, a lot of that was the Eagles being up, <laughs> quote unquote, and at least going for the football and creating incompletions rather than getting um, PI calls. Yeah, and let's not forget the play. Yeah, it's, they use the term loosely for this game. Yeah. Let's not forget the play right before the Patriots decided not to go for it on fourth down when the receiver for the Patriots tried to do the, the flying leap to the first down line. And, they, uh, the, Eagle, and the Eagle defender basically just like, literally slammed that him into the ground. And said, you are, you know, that's right. He gave him the old, you shall not pass, and literally grabbed him and threw him down into the turf, then prompting the Eagles to, uh, well, actually prompted the Patriots to not go for it on fourth down and then miss the field goal. But when you saw that play develop, it looked like a clear cut, like, oh, he's going to waltz past the first down marker. And the Eagles close so fast. And then this guy's initial move is to try to jump through the air like he's freaking Superman. And he's going to Superman it to the first down. And he, <laughs> the defensive play right there, if that would have been made at the end of a game, it would have been one of those sort of like all-time defensive style plays. But because it happened to, you know, the, the latter half of the first quarter, it's not going to be one of those plays that comes up like a big play in the game or gets a whole lot of play. That was a huge moment that created a negative, a negative play for the Patriots. Huge open field stop. Got the uh, the Arn yeah. Anderson spine buster working, and, and then the uh, the field goal doinkage off the post. Uh, yeah, the, the, again, D in quotation marks, D being played. It was uh, very rare, yeah. but the team that was supposed to bring the D – when they needed to, were actually able to bring the D. And it was interesting because of the way the game sort of set up from the opening to me, because New England 
on that opening possession, Philly gets the ball and they go right down the field and then they're making all the throws and, and all the runs and the defense, the, the Patriots defense gets all the way to the two and then they stiffen in the red zone because that's what they do. And it's like, okay, well, that, that sucks. A seven-minute drive for three fucking points. This is not going to work because the Patriots will come back and, and, and take that from you. Uh, but the Philly D stiffened in the red zone by doubling uh, on Rob Bronkowski. So, okay, here we go. Well, the, the Eagles know what they're doing. They may have got given up some yardage, uh, but they knew what to do when they got to the red zone. So, 3-3. Three, three, uh, and then they just opened it up. LeGarry Blunt breaks right for a 36-yard run, and the Patriots should have known at that point they were cooked. Alshon Jeffrey beats Eric Rowe from, from 34 yards. Rowe just getting toasted all night. That was the first of many, and they, the Patriots had to know at that point that it was, it was fucked. Uh, and that was a lead at that point that the, that, the, that the Eagles took on the Patriots. They didn't give that lead up until the fourth quarter. They kept coming. They kept being aggressive. They they kept going forward. They kept that aggression up. We already gave the props to, to Doug Peterson for staying aggressive and doing what he had to do to get the win. There was one more coaching decision that he made uh, that I thought was very key was in the uh, uh, in the in the last part there. The last the, after the turnover after the after they finally make the play to strip. Tom Brady of the ball. They're up five. They get the ball back. They could be stupid and go for it there and try to get a touchdown to really put it away and pull a Daryl Bevel and make the, the really stupid mistake and throw a ball to the other team and give Tom Brady a, another chance. And they ran it three times and made, and they made the Patriots use their timeouts and go Jake Elliott, the, the Memphis kid, the, the kicker that I saw, uh, at the game that I went to a couple of years ago at the Liberty Bowl, the only other, the, the only college football game I've ever seen, uh, Jake Elliott was the place here uh, for the Tigers. So got two Memphis Tigers kickers. Boy, the kickers had a terrible game, but nonetheless, still Memphis pride in the kickers. But they 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 run the ball three times. They do what they got to do. They get the field goal to go up eight. They leave Brady with no timeouts, and, and they don't make the dumb mistake. They're aggressive exactly when they need to be. They go for it all game when they need to, and then right at the moment that they need to be smart and don't go for it, they're smart and they don't go for it. Uh, again, all props to Doug Peterson for a masterful game coached and, and Bill Belichick. He, he got out coached. It, it just, it, it happens to, to the best of them. He just got out coached. Yeah. And the, the Eagles did in that moment at that point in the game, exactly, exactly what the Falcons did not do. In almost that same point of the game, hardly any time left to go. The Falcons were up eight. They got to the 25-yard line after the miracle catch by Julio Jones. They're in field goal range, and instead of just run, 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 make the Patriots burn the timeouts and then send out Matt Bryant, one of the most reliable kickers in the league, to bang home a 40-yard field goal to go up 11 with about what, what at that point would have been about probably two, two and a half minutes left to go. They started getting cute and trying to throw the ball, and they get holding calls, and they just go backwards and end up having to punt the ball from outside of field goal range from when they were clearly in field goal range, and all they had to do was run, 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 burn the timeouts. At the moment when they needed to be conservative, they were aggressive. And Philly, almost in that same position after that strip sack, could have gone for the kill shot. No. They just said, you know what? We're going to play our game. We, we trust our kicker. 
we're going to run the ball. Who knows? Maybe we break a run here and we get the first down and ice the game. But they, they stayed within themselves after the breakneck pace that they had kept up the whole game, and that is coaching. That's it. Stayed within themselves. That's exactly why I'm applauding what the Eagles did. And even though it's the exact opposite of what the Falcons did last year, and I thought that the Falcons were right in trying to go for it and trying to go for the kill shot, but it's all about staying within yourself. I think the Falcons, in my mind, earned the right to go for it the way they played all year, the way Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan and that offense put up record numbers and and looked completely coherent and cohesive. Uh, I thought they should have gone for because they were that good. Whereas this Eagles thing was sort of glued together on the fly. They played their ass off. They played the best game of their lives. And I think to go for it there would have been pushing it and they would have been risking making the really dumb mistake uh, in that in that case. So I, I applaud them for not going for it. I really do think, that, like you said, it's about staying within yourself. And by virtue of this result, believe it or not, in the Brady and Belichick era, this was the most lopsided Super Bowl that they've been in. The the, the eight point loss. Yeah. They they don't know how to play any blowout games in the Super Bowl either way. All one no. possession games. Yeah, but the Eagles put it on them the the hardest. The Giants beat them by three and four, but the Eagles beat them by eight. There you go. That's they double four. That's that's a lot. Wow. <laughs> So, uh, after all of that, the game that we slagged on for an hour just had everything you could hope for. You get the, uh, you get a couple of uh, hashtag what is a catch. You get uh, a guy getting put to sleep. You got uh, yeah. crazy re- double reverse throws of quarterbacks. Uh, you got Patrick Chung got concussed and was allowed to come back in the game. He was clearly concussed. He was clearly <laughs> dumpling. So we. we yep. We had everything. We had a little bit of everything yeah. that the It was like a microcosm of the whole season. It was literally like the whole like a miniaturized version of the twenty seventeen season. The only thing we were missing was uh Pink and Ray Lewis and uh, joining hands in midfield and taking a knee. That's the only thing we were missing. Yeah. All the players have locked arms. Right. Uh yeah, unbelievable. It's all all the, the craziness that happened of a game that we thought that was not gonna be uh, much of anything at all. I was curious as to what the uh, I talked about the last show of what this rating was going to be because I thought there was that little interest coming in. I thought it was going to be. I threw out the number one of the lowest uh, rated games uh, in a decade, and I, I nailed that too. Uh, this was yeah. the lowest rated Super Bowl since Pittsburgh and Arizona nine years ago. So there you go. Um, and I don't know if it's going to get any better. I don't know if it's going to turn around next year if the, if the Patriots are indeed done as I think they are. Uh, I don't know what the matchup will be next year, but it might be another wide open season and the rating might go down even more. Oh, did I lose you? No, you uh, you stopped there. I heard the lady give the 60 second warning and then you just like stopped. So maybe you were talking, maybe you tossed it over to me when she was talking in yeah. my ear. So if you would, so oh, I, I didn't that. hear that, but no, that Pittsburgh, Arizona, Super Bowl was a very good Super Bowl. At least it was an exciting Super Bowl, but the, the, the Patriots, they could get back to the Super Bowl 
and I hate to say that, and I know you don't want to hear it because we would like to see something different, but the AFC is just that bad. The AFC stinks. You you may be right. I, I'll I, and I'll give them winning the the, the the division again. They'll probably keep winning the division as long as Tom Brady plays. I, well, yeah. Who else? I mean, there's nobody else there you can give it to. You're not going to give it to Miami, Buffalo, or the Jets. Ugh. Not happening. <laughs> More on our after show when we come back. Now into our VIP after show program. So the off season begins uh, with a bang as uh, boy wonder Josh McDaniels at the last second decides, I don't think I want to go to Indianapolis. I think I'm going to stay here in New England. It's kind of a, yeah, kind of I a don't dick think move the, by him. The, yeah, from what I'm seeing, the, you know, basically he's putting all of his eggs in the basket that he is going to be the heir apparent and the replacement to Bill Belichick because who is going to hire him now? Yep, good point. You just did that. You just basically told a team and you, you agreed in terms on principle with a team that you were going to go and be their coach. And, th- and then you're just like, eh, no, I don't think so. What I'm more interested by is how the Lions feel right now about getting Matt Patricia, this big, this great defensive mind to, <laughs> to be their head coach after he just got annihilated in the Super Bowl. But he was getting I annihilated mean, all year. Twenty ninth yeah, in yardage I, in the, on the season. Yeah. I was stunned by the hire when they when they first announced it. I didn't understand why he was such hot shit, anyways. And I'm with you there. <laughs> then you they go that. and do that. The oh. Lions are like, yeah, we, oh man, we got to have him. We we got to have some of that. We need some of that on our team. You do realize <laughs> that he's going to be coaching in the division with Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> And, and the next Hall of Famer for the Bears, Mitch Trubisky. Don't forget that. Well, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it so it ends up coming out that your Bears have a connection to this Super Bowl that the uh, that Doug Peterson basically came out and said that the Philly special was a play they copied that the Bears ran early in the season, and Doug Peterson saw that play and was like, "I like that." And they incorporated yeah. that into their playbook. Yeah, if you remember uh, the uh, Mitch Trubisky's first game as a starter on Monday night against yeah. the Vikings, it was a two-point yeah. conversion. They wound up running the the double reverse yeah. throwback to the quarterback. Uh, yeah, it was a very smooth play. It was very exciting. I, I was like, wow, look at this shit right here. They know what they're doing. And, hey, the NFL is a copycat league, as we often say. Yeah. Another, another, but there you go. Another time where a coach who's in his second year look and look at someone else and appreciate what he sees and go, I like that. I'm going to steal that. Would he, Bill he, Belichick have stolen that? No, because he's Bill Belichick. He's he the genius. That's he, that's right. right. People got to copy him. He he doesn't look at what other teams do and reverence. So you got you got to like where the Eagles are headed. I mean, they're getting their they're getting their quarterback back. I, this team's going to just They'll be in contention again. You got to figure. Um, yeah, it all came together for him pretty quick. But you know, the way Carson Wentz developed in his second year, Doug Peterson coaching in his second year. Um, we've this is the second year in a row that we've had second a second year head coach 
in the NFC make it to a Super Bowl because Dan Quinn did it last year, and now you've got Doug Peterson do it this year. Um, so, yeah, interesting. I mean, I, the, the NFC is clearly, clearly going to be uh, the superior conference possibly for a while because I think the AFC is just in shambles. I don't know if it's going to be like as bad like the 80s where we go, you know, where the AFC wins two Super Bowls in a 15-year period. But clearly when we talked about it, looking at the the field, even in general, overall the NFC, that a lot of those NFC teams probably could have beaten the Patriots in this Super Bowl or have been in the Super Bowl. I mean, what would the Saints have done to that defense? Woo! <laughs> Oh my God. What would Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram or yeah. And, and, it, yeah. and all those guys or the Falcons again, you know, with, uh, with, with, with the running back with, with, with Coleman and Coleman and uh, Freeman and then Julio Jones getting another crack at those guys minus Malcolm Butler. Oh. Let's just take Malcolm Butler off the Patriots and see how they would have fared against Atlanta's offense or the Saints offense. It would have. So, the Eagles were the Eagles got there, so they won. But the NFC is going to be is going to be interesting. The most ridiculous thing I saw um, this week was the Vegas immediately, you know, right after the Super Bowl puts out their Super Bowl odds. Yeah, I'm guessing the, the 49ers. The 49ers were in the top ten. Oh, the hype has started already. <laughs> the hype has already started. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers were 20 to 1. Oh, please. Yeah. Get the hell out of here with that. First of all, don't make that bet. Please. <laughs> I mean, I would have made that bet if it was another zero on there. Hey, you know, I'll put 10 bucks on that for win, <laughs> to win two grand. But 20 to 1? Come on. Yeah, it was it was it was bad. Another team though that was really high, that had really low odds was the Packers. I was like, mm, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, that smells Me. like uh, just star fucker money. Aaron Rodgers is a star, yeah. so we got to put our money on him. Now I'm not going to discount the fact that they'll be better next year, and that if Aaron Rodgers can play a whole season, they'll be in the playoffs. And all you got to do is get to the playoffs, and who knows what could happen. I, I do feel a bit sad through this whole Patriots run that we've never got a, a Rodgers Brady Super Bowl. Yeah, that would have been fun. You know, we feel like we've been kind of robbed of that. Uh, Brady's kind of had a kind of a shit draw at quarterback a few times, but man, he's lost to Eli Manning twice and Nick Foles. <laughs> he's the goat, though. He's Tommy Brady. I, you know, I did enough crapping on the Patriots in the last few shows that, I mean, it's not fair if I keep doing it. Man, that's <laughs> 10 yards. <laughs> Sorry. Hey. The man had 10 yards per pass attempt in his, in his Super Bowl. He had 500 <laughs> yards yeah, of passing off. You throw for 500 with a Super Bowl. I'll lay off you for a while. I actually gave him credit. You did hear it. I'm not just. I'm just not here to completely be the contrarian and just completely shit all over Tom Brady every time I get the chance. He played a 
a great game. He escaped a lot of pressure. He he heaved a lot of balls when he threw them. I was like, what are you doing? And then you'd see the receiver just wide open. There was the one he threw where he was like falling over early in the game down the field to Amendola. And I was like, oh, that's picked. Until the ball, you know, until the, the camera pans down the field, you see there's nobody in the area. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. And the Eagles, and I'm thinking this whole time, like, the Eagles were a good pass defense, right? They, they were. They were elite. <laughs> I don't know what happened in this game, but they were elite. <laughs> they were elite. Was not elite. The Jaguars put up more resistance in, in, in the secondary than the Eagles did by a lot. They did. I, I can only keep clinging and clutching to the fact that they made the one defensive play one that play. helped that game up. But, yeah, they did not play like anywhere near an elite defense, not even close. Yeah. And in a game in a game that was, you know, with 74 points scored, it was going to come down to one play, and the team that could make the one play won the game, and I, it was the, the Eagles defense and – Brandon Graham getting the paw in there, and we didn't even get a tuck rule. We we were we were we were only missing a couple of elements that would have made this game like make your mind explode type crazy. <laughs> we didn't have a tuck rule. Even, we yeah, I'm not even going to count the pick that that falls through, which was Elson Jeffrey oh, falling God. over flailing on the ground, just deciding to bat the ball to the defender. That no, ball should have been... Alshon Jeffrey this close to making a one-handed grab and toasting the Patriots again yeah. and just happened to fall yeah. off balance and tip the ball up in the air. He had that catch. Yeah, he did. He was open. It was in his pocket. <clears throat> I, I don't want to point out the fact, again, why he was trying to catch the ball with one hand was a little reminiscent of the Corey the Corey Davis play with with the Titans, you had to make <laughs> oh, a one-handed yeah. catch because the defender had the other one. Yeah. Well, but we, we won't pay attention to that. We, you know, yeah, the Eagles won the game, so we're not going to worry about it at this point. That's right. <laughs> but when you, when you think about a defender or a receiver who has to go up and make a one-handed catch, you go, well, why wasn't that a two-handed catch? Hmm. Hmm. Well, if you go back and check the replay, his other hand was preoccupied. <laughs> it wasn't pushing off. <laughs> he had a defender sort of tugging on it. Yeah. But that's okay. They let that stuff go the whole game both ways. So, again, it wasn't one of those where suddenly the Eagles are getting crazy P.I. calls, but they're going to overlook something like that. At Gene's territory, Alberto Riveron, I, I think they're all on the same page. Let's let the players decide this game because of how terrible yeah. the officiating decisions have been all year. Let's let the players actually figure out who the better yeah. team is on this. Day. Especially six days after the commissioner of our league goes on national radio expressing his concerns over the way these games are being called. Let's not you do the story. You don't think those concerns made it to their offices uh, individually, privately? Then you're crazy, because I'm sure they did. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was uh, it was fun. I, I mean, that that's I, I guess the the best word is you know for for what you'd expect out of a Super Bowl and in, in, in a party atmosphere, and and, a, and a, once again a football game that a lot of people watch that don't normally watch football. There's there are a lot of people that normally watch football didn't watch either. Um, 
but it, it, it is a spectacle. It is, it's an American holiday. If every Super Bowl was like that, you'd, you wouldn't have a lot of purists enjoy it, but you would have some mass market appeal for the NFL. I mean, the NFL would be even bigger if it is than it is right now if the Super Bowls or a lot of NFL football looked like that. And that's why you were talking about this is sort of the, the future of the league. And we've been, it seemed like this has been sort of held at bay because it was starting to get that way where all the rules were being driven towards the crazy offense. We were starting to, you know, the 5,000 yard passing and, you know, this de-emphasis on the running game. Although now with all the wide open passing offenses, if you have a effective running game too, that you can mix into that, you can find some huge holes and be completely dominant as we saw the Eagles do in the Super Bowl. The reason I'm afraid of it not making the game more popular and crazier if it goes in this direction is because I think about the NBA and how the defensive rules wound up getting relaxed after all the clutching and grabbing and uh, of the bad boys and the Knicks and how ugly basketball was back then, they had to loosen up the defensive rules to let offense flow there. And on one hand, it is very much very, very popular right now with what the Warriors are doing and what LeBron and the Cavs and the, and the Heat were doing. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who – hate the NBA the way it is now because they go, oh, there's no defense being played back in my day. They would lock your ass down and they could, and they, these guys are just weak now. They're just soft, all of them. They can't play no defense. So I'm, uh, I'm fearful of the NFL getting to that point where, yeah, a lot of the younger kids, uh, your son would grow up to, to see the NFL like this and maybe think it's the greatest and the coolest thing. But a lot of the people that, that pay the hard-earned money to go see these games, a lot of the, the, the paying customers might turn their nose up and frown at it and go, oh, this is just soft. Dick Butkus would kill all these little pansies. Crap like that. Yeah, but eventually all those people who think that'll be dead. <laughs> yeah, eventually. So, so, so there's that. I was seeing uh, I was seeing a lot of uh, I was seeing a lot of fun comments um it, it during uh, especially like with the Twitter feeds and then the feeds during like on the sports app where I was following the game and such um so I was having a hell of a time trying to watch the game live because NBC is so shitty for me and I know I've com- I know I've referenced that a few times on the show how hard it is for me to watch Sunday night football um so I was following the game very closely but not able to actually see it um, for a lot of it and then catching up with like instant highlights and all those things but a lot of the and the Twitter comments and and so I was like I was kind of like why it was an interesting way to experience something let's just say that um the game almost broke the Twitter right and then you know and then as soon as the game was over I was instantly on to uh onto my uh TV for for NFL I switched it over to NFL Network and because uh, that's how I can get a clean feed from to watch all the post games. So I was getting all the highlights. I was getting all the flavor. I was getting all the interviews. I got the F bomb. Someone else dropped an S, you know, someone else said shit. It, it was great. Um, so, so I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I sort of non sequitured myself there. I was trying to, <laughs> trying to remember where I was, where I was going with that story. Uh, with all the with all the following of everything, and and I lost, I completely lost track of where I was going with that. Happens to all of us. I was so excited to tell this too. 
about what I was about to say. And I just, I'm just like, we're describing everything. And here's what I saw. And I was the way I was experiencing the game and, um, total shit. Uh, Okay. Well, you can say something for a minute. I'm going to try to rethink to where I was going with that point. It'll come to you. Um, I was going to ask about uh, how you uh, experienced or enjoyed like the other things that surround the Super Bowl, such as the commercials, such as the halftime, such as uh, all the stuff didn't like that, but apparently you didn't didn't experience any of that. Okay, well, there you go. Didn't see, didn't see any of it. My wife uh, did say that she went on YouTube and watched the halftime show and didn't like it. Okay. Yeah, it was, she it, that she that's liked, about it. She, she did say that she liked the purple lights outside the stadium. <laughs> that's about as, I guess, polarizing a halftime show that I've seen as far as the reaction goes. Because there's often, there's no unanimous great halftime show. Some people like one and, they hate, and some people hate it or some most people hate it. This was almost, it seemed 50-50, like Half the people that I saw liked it or loved it or, you know, I'm in the camp of I liked it and I respect uh, the the Prince tribute. It wasn't nearly as uh, tacky or tasteless as I feared it was going to be Uh, in the days leading up to the Super Bowl. I had read that it was going to be it wasn't going to be a projection of Prince on a sheet. It was going to be a hologram. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, Oh, God, no. Uh, so thankfully it wasn't that. I don't know if that was ever in the plans, but or, or it, it, it probably was in the plans. That's why it leaked out, and they got such backlash uh, that they figured let's let's scrap that. Let's go with something else, and and you know, let's just project them on a on a big white sheet. Um, but I actually thought it was respectful what Justin Timberlake uh, did uh, doing a duet with with I Would Die for You, uh, doing a little duet with Prince. Uh, wasn't nearly as creepy as I thought it, it, it. I thought it might be, but it was really split. Like a lot of people hated it. Um, our, our our friend Cass from Football Fan Rush Radio was there in Minneapolis, of course. Being, uh, uh, I, I think she's originally from Minneapolis, right? I know she's a huge Vikings fan. I, I think she's, she's a big Vikings fan. I think she's either from Minneapolis or has people up there. But she was there at the Super Bowl. She was in the uh, she was in the uh, the what what is it the is it U.S. Bank Stadium or is it what what bank is that? Uh, I, that I lose track. Stadium. We'll call it yeah, the Pink Taco the, just for the we we really shouldn't call it the Pink Taco. That's that's not fair to oh, the stadium. But but purple anyway. taco. Uh, but she well for one for one night anyway. But she was there. She thought and, she, and she's a huge Prince fan, almost as big as I am. Uh, I don't think she did a hour long podcast crying about him and, and boring everybody, but, uh, but she's I a huge sure fan. Hope not. I, for her sake, I hope not as well. And uh, she, <laughs> she liked it. She said she liked it. And a, lo- a lot of princes, a lot of Prince fans were not liking it because they are of the opinion that he wouldn't have wanted something like that. He wasn't about the, the duets with, with dead people. That was just something that creeped him out. And I read an interview where he said that. And so I, I get that. But even though it would it would be probably against his wishes, I still think it was tastefully done, and and uh, I, I didn't really have a problem with that. But yeah, it was it was really polarizing from what I could see. That's what I heard. I, I just got the brief rundown from my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, it didn't do anything for me." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah. I, I can respect that." And I don't think she has anything necessarily 
pro or against Justin Timberlake. And, you know, I think she's more a little in tune with, with sort of the, the, the pop scene than, than I am. That's for sure. And I have nothing, and I'm indifferent to Justin Timberlake. So I could have, I could have enjoyed it. If I watched it, uh, it wouldn't have been something where I would have been like thumbing my nose up at it. Like, Oh, just bring on another geriatric rocker, which I actually am not for. Um, I, I, the Super Bowl was starting to get a little you know, after the after Nipplegate, the Super Bowl was starting to get a little 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 geriatric, a little old. We had to do the Stone. We just had to keep getting older and older and older. Um, to the point now we're we're, we're now we're doing duets with dead people. So I guess we haven't really progressed. In Prince we're, of we're the bringing, Pins, he's we're bringing not... people back from the grave to to, to do not... the Super Bowl halftime. <laughs> In Prince's defense, he's not that old. He just killed himself with drugs. So it's, he, well. he, he, was, he wasn't in his 50s, which is pretty old, sure. but it's not like 70s. It's not Springsteen no. and, and Petty and those guys. Yeah, we'll get a, we'll get a Super Bowl up in Seattle, and we'll, we'll have Kurt Cobain headlining. Oh. Um, they have time. <laughs> what? Too soon? I don't think you want to be memorializing people who put guns in their mouths. Although killing yourself with opiates isn't really too much better, I guess. No. <laughs> I don't think they want no. to memor- memorialize that. Like WWE yeah. for their Hall of Fame, they'll they'll induct dead guys all the time because so many of uh-huh. their workforce is dead. Yeah. But they're not going to induct the guys that died from like, you know, ODing from drugs and. Oh, okay. Uh, you're, or murder suicide. You're not going to see Chris Benoit in the WWE yeah. Hall of Fame anytime soon. Yeah, you kind of got where I was going there. Yeah, yeah. The the bad uh, PR from that. Although so, he was a hell of a wrestler. Absolutely, it's one of the best I ever saw. Yeah. So when you say your wife is uh, is in tune with the with the pop scene a lot more than you are, I guess uh, watching Justin Timberlake, you should you could say that she was a lot more in sync. Thank you. I'd be here all the week. Wow. Sorry. If we weren't on the podcast, I'd be saying bye, bye, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I, I like that one. I doubled down. See, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Nice. Malcolm Butler, doubling down. <laughs> that's right. When someone's dragging your name through the mud, you stand up for yourself. You don't just let the, the great Bill Belichick uh, bench you and then just let everything go and, and not defend yourself at all. I, I like that. He's coming back and letting everybody know, hey, I ain't do any of this shit they saying I did. He just didn't play me. That's all it was. Now, he'll never be a Patriot again. <laughs> no. no, no, he's done. Yeah. Because uh, how, how do you crazy. bring him back? I mean, how you can't. You, you just can't. can't. He's a Super Bowl hero. I mean, the thought of... It, let, let's pretend that he didn't do anything and Belichick benched him what everyone was speculating on Super Bowl Sunday was Belichick benched him because he really did sort of think that he wasn't 
holding up his end and he wasn't playing well and, and and sort of de facto blaming this bad defense on partially on Malcolm Butler. Why would you look at the rest of your defenders and think that Malcolm Butler was the problem? I, if I can dare challenge the coaching skills of the great Bill Belichick, why, why would you think that? Why would you think Eric Rowe was going to do any better than Malcolm Butler out there? What, what, I don't know what was going through Belichick's head when he decided to do that. Uh, not to mention that Butler's got that play in the Super Bowl that proves that he kind of knows where to be when the chips are on the line, when it's most important. And, and instead, you got uh, – there was one play, there was one time where the Patriots are mounting their comeback and they take the lead. And the very next possession, the the Eagles are, are up against the wall, third down, uh, Patriots are rallying, rallying up, looking like they're going to – uh, maybe make a stand, and that touchdown to to Zach Ertz. Uh, it was a third down play. It's right when New yep. England needed to make a defensive play to make a stand, and Devin McCourty is just stumbling and, and bumbling and falling all over himself. That play, uh, I, I thought Ertz was going to maybe not get get that ball when when it was released. It was released. Uh, I, I thought McCordy was going to be able to, to make a cut and make a play on it. And there he is just kind of tripping all over his own feet and stumbling and falling. And it was just, it was just perfect. It was like a, a, a cherry on top. Just this is how the Patriots are going to go out. The defense is blown all year. And, and this is the way they're going to go down. They could not make a defensive play to save their lives. And, and not saying that Malcolm Butler was guaranteed to make that play, but for the love of God, those other guys that you left out there instead of Malcolm Butler, no, they were not going to be able to make that play. Nobody was. I mean, there, there was absolutely no inkling from the Patriots at all that they were going to do anything. I mean, <laughs> absolutely none. So it didn't. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it was crazy. So when you when you let your team ha- not have its best defensive player, it, it just it, it just made no sense. I mean, I was just I was just completely stunned. And then when it, you know, and then it comes out, and you're you're going through it, and you're just like, well, what? Okay. I mean, what I didn't want to have was have the Patriots have a, a, an excuse to lose the game. I don't think it's being touted that way. I don't think anybody's like, well, you know, if we would have had our guy, we would have won the game. So, I haven't seen that too many places, but I've seen it. A couple of times here and there, I've seen if Malcolm Butler was out there, they may have made the play to win the game. You know, I have seen it. I'm, I'm sure there's some of that there, but when it's your coach that does it knowingly, you, you got you got nothing to – you got nothing to complain about. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That's it. The genius coach. Yeah, he I mean, the genius move, and he got enough. So when you when you actually boil it all down, and your coach just out geniuses himself. And, and you bench your best defensive guy, you you deserve to lose. The Eagles, the Eagles are only going to play who's on the other team. I mean, the, the Eagles lined up and they beat that team without their best player. That's it. 
I mean, we're, we're not lamenting the fact, you know, if, I mean, if the Eagles had lost, we're going, well, it was Nick Foles. Yeah. <laughs> if they had Carson you know, wins, it might have been different, but they didn't. They also didn't have their uh, best linebacker, who's been hurt for the last few weeks. So, so it's not just one of those things where it only works as for one part of the equation. What makes it harder to swallow for the Patriots and the Patriots fans are going to be that this was a basically what amounts to a healthy scratch, right? That's what it looks like. He wasn't like. hurt. He, he, he could have played. And the, the coach, what, what, what really blew me away was Belichick, Belichick saying that they went with the defensive scheme that they had drawn up and the players who he thought gave them the best chance to win. And he said it with a straight face. That's what he apparently believes. I don't believe that. <laughs> now, of course, what we don't know is what happened in practice the last two weeks to make him believe that. Perhaps Malcolm Butler was looking uh, extra sh- extra shitty in practice uh, for some reason. But yeah, you, you got to trust the guys that, that got you there, I think. Uh, and you got to trust the guys, especially in the situation you're in where your defense is, is obviously, so obviously the weak point of your team. And so obviously the, the weak link and, and so obviously the thing that's going to make you lose if you lose this game is going to be your defense. And you choose to take a piece away from your defense willingly. It, it, it's, yeah. it's mind-boggling. Because it's the Patriot way. Right. You can't defy the Patriot way, and you can't defy the genius coach. So, yeah, that, that whole thing's over as far as I'm concerned. Now, we don't know if Malcolm Butler had played that this result would have been any different, but you have to suspect that things would have been even just a slight bit harder <laughs> for the Patriots, just a little. Maybe. We, we, will, we will never know. So, so do, so do you have a so – wow, we've broken down uh, a lot of the aspects of the game. I didn't see any of the commercials. Uh, that's the other reason a lot of people go to watch the Super Bowl. One of the things that's really bugged me is that they release all these commercials now early. Right. So, you know, like the, the last couple of years, it was like all the Super Bowl commercials were airing or you could watch them online before the Super Bowl. I mean, so it, it almost got as it almost became bad, like the NFL draft, where they'd have the the, the video <laughs> crew in the room of the of the guy who just got drafted before the pick was made. And then the NFL finally said, "Hey, hey, hey, enough of that." I mean, if the NFL wants to try to get some of its viewers back, and you know that there are people who like to watch the Super Bowl for the commercials, stop letting the commercials leak out online before the Super Bowl. Hey, what an idea. I don't know. I think uh, if you want to go find the commercials before they air, then you can go do it. But if you're like me and you you don't want to go find them, you don't want to be spoiled, then you, you don't have to go search for them. I, I think it's just the creativity is, is off with these commercials. I don't think it's so much a matter of, of so much of them getting leaked early. I think they're just not very good. Uh, who came up with the idea for Ram Trucks to incorporate a Martin Luther King speech in service of selling yeah. a motherfucking pickup truck? I, I like, heard about that once. 
I don't know, but you know the MLK estate signed off on that. I guess Gandhi yeah. wasn't available. So yeah, it is on them for allowing that to happen, but it's it's on Ram for coming for coming up with the concept. Like why? Well, what, okay. What did... If you're if you're the Martin Luther King estate and Dodge comes to you and goes, we'd like to use some some footage of Martin Luther King in one of our commercials. Here's a shit ton of money. <laughs> well, oh. Okay. <laughs> get, get twisted my arm. Because <laughs> the answer to classy. every question is Keep money. it classy. That's right. Keep it classy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's... It's always about the money. But whoever had the idea, come on. Who's sitting there in the room at Dodge? You know what's going to help us sell more Ram trucks? Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> A lot of fist pumps, you know? Right. They're like Von Miller in the shower in that Old Spice ad, you know? <laughs> all right, we've done our job. Let's go on vacation. <laughs> Those guys all went home and took showers and did that, too, right? Yeah. yeah, we're the yeah. men. I hope you know which commercial I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I, I vaguely uh, recall yeah. it. Yes, but that I, I yeah. If you're an ad executive somewhere and you need you need Doctor Doctor King's words to help you sell pickup trucks, first of all, you don't really know your audience. Just saying. <laughs> Brothers can't drive Dodge uh, pickup truck. Who are you selling to is what I want to know. No, I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Um, but what? You, come on. Funniest part about that is for the last three years I've been driving around a, a Dodge pickup truck. Oh no! <laughs> it's not. It's not mine. Oh. It's my my wife's uncle's. But... Oh. Well, it's, oh, you know, I, I, maybe I've seriously underestimated the. <laughs> The, the the appeal of of Martin Luther King ads next year it'll be Malcolm X. We don't all drive conversion vans. Um, it, it's not I'm not going to describe every commercial, but it, it's the the creativity is, is bad right now. It is not just uh, well that's with everything though. You think about Hollywood in general, you can't get anything but a reboot or a sequel or oh my superhero. God, every fucking movie is a remake of another movie. Every one of them. Yeah. There are no original ideas out there. Mm, not really. Or they're movies that seem original, but then you find out they're adapted from ideas from other movies. It's like, oh, okay. Oh. Or a reimagining of, yeah, it's just. So when you've had a hundred years of cinema and you know, 80 years of television roughly and, and all there's only so many ideas to go around apparently. And we've used them all. I, I refuse to believe that we have not used all the ideas. I just had all, a, a I just had a dream at, last night of, of, of a wait, creative did idea. Say, I, I, did you just say I had a dream? I had a dream of all the people in this land to be an equal. No, it was it wasn't one of those dreams. It was. Uh, oh, okay. 
even even though Dr. King being brought up is is very timely. No, while I dreamed your that, truck. <laughs> while I was driving my Dodge Dakota Sport that doesn't belong to me, I had a dream that no, uh, no, I had a dream that I was like a, a DJ Khaled like rap mogul promoter guy producer, and I came up with a rap song that was in a video that was going to be like an epic like 20, 30 minute long rap song like they used to do in the in, in rock and roll back in the 70s. Uh, they would sure. release this like big long one, hell, one side, like one whole side. One was, song, yes. Yeah. And I had a dream wow. like that, that I was going to make a rap. It was going to be titled Circus. It was good. We were filming it like in a carnival or in a circus. Part of it was being filmed on a Ferris wheel. Uh, another part was being filmed on some big platform that was going up and down, like one of those one of those rides or whatever. It was a whole concept. It was going to be like every rapper you could imagine was going to have, uh, going to give them eight bars each, and they were all going to drop a drop a verse, uh, and it was just going to be epic. It was going to be like the biggest rap song ever. And there are ideas out there, and I don't even do drugs. I don't drink or do drugs. These, these ideas are out there. <laughs> Original ideas are out there. I'm not saying that's going to be that would be a great idea, but it would be original. It'd be a hell of a lot more original than a lot of the shit that's out there right now. And, and I don't even maybe I should stop. Uh, maybe I should, uh, should start dropping acid and see what I come up with. Because if that stuff's waiting for me in my dreams, who knows what else is out there? You know. But right. No, well, I mean, look at we TV. Well, look at Masters TV shows. You can't part fourteen. <laughs> you can be. Like, you can't get a TV show now made unless it's a cop show or a doctor show or a reality show or, or a game a show. Comic show, right? Right, or or a superhero show because that, that that just immediately is a given that it's got to all you know, be superhero something, superhero anything, yep. spinoff superhero show, spinoff of a spinoff, expanded universe. Uh, you, you you can give it Superman a thousand different things, Batman. but. Ooh, that's original. <laughs> it's all going to end up being a. In the end, it's a, it's a superhero show. Have they done Joker versus Penguin? Ooh, have we thought about that? They're both. Well, they're both bad guys. So, oh, I maybe know. They, yeah, no, oh, see? it's a curveball. It's original. Yeah, it's not it's an original. original idea. It's just a. It's a change up. Yeah, it's a switcheroo. A reimagining. Where the Joker is the good guy. They're, well, they're both bad guys, but they're coming at it at totally different angles, and they're they're gonna fight for who's gonna oh. be the worst, the the worst guy, the the worst of the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or how about Joker as a child? How about that? It's a prequel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Prequels. Prequels are huge now too. Yeah. Because we're going to take them. everything that you know about a beloved franchise and crap all over it. <laughs> completely rewrite it. And give you completely meaningless backstory that you didn't need to begin with <laughs> that just takes a dump over everything that you love. I love it. Sign me up. And 13 weeks later, it's ready for Netflix. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, because that's the way it is now. You go see a movie in the theater; it's uh, it, you could you could buy it, you could download it like two months later. Why go to the theater? That's right. They're they're putting the bootleg brothers out of business. We used to be able to film that thing and get it right to you two days later. But you don't have to worry about the bad, shaky 
uh, video camera anymore. You get it right on Netflix two days later for for nothing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the way it is. We do sounding like uh, old men now. Everything is terrible. Yeah. Everything shit yeah. now. We're like the two old guys in the balcony on the Muppets now. Ah, God, everything is gone to crap. Uh, so, uh, so our our next show, which would be more convention like this, more than likely, would be uh, something. Uh, it would be uh, our Kings of Non Sequitur, uh, the beginning of, of all that in the off season, uh, unless we just don't want to come on the air uh, until our Oscar show, which is going to be that first Saturday in March, I believe, uh, with, with Dave, the movie expert, who I should actually text and see if he's up for it again before I'd start promoting that. Right, because we don't see those movies. Hell no, we don't. I, you mean you're not planning to see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Is that what that one which movie is, is? Which is supposed to be a very good movie. But no. Yeah, well, they're, they're all supposed to be very good, supposed to be. That's, well, yeah, uh, presumably. There's like this whole thing hanging over Hollywood right now, you know, because that's sort of the epicenter of the whole Me Too and, you know, with all the yeah. Weinstein stuff. And then people go back and think about all of the Weinstein properties that ended up winning a lot of those Oscars, and you know, and how ill-gotten were you know. So there, there was a whole period where all you had to do was be in some Miramax Weinstein-produced thing, and you were going to win Best Picture, even when it was like, wait, that wasn't the Best Picture, but you know. So, so much of that going on behind the scenes, and you know, you know, who knows how much booty was being passed around, and it was just so dark. That so much of that, I think, is just leaving people with this sort of, I, I hate to say it, bad taste in their mouth. Um, <clears throat> that, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see what that's like this year because we've, we've, we've had it all. We had it with the Grammys, you know, Time's Up, and Me Too, and I, I didn't watch the Grammys either. And then with the Oscars, which is like sort of rounding back to where this whole thing began, it's going to be very interesting to see what those proceedings are like being that the vast majority of the allegations and everything that have gone on have come directly from Hollywood. And you didn't see the golden globes. I assume either. That was, that was really special. Didn't watch, didn't watch those either. I mean, well, I mean, cause at some point it's going to be like, they're trying to make up for it too much. It's going to be like what we talked about with the NFL during veterans day weekend. It's like you're trying too hard. <laughs> They had that too. I forgot about that for the Super Bowl. They had the seven hundred military guys. Forgot about that part. They had everything for the Super Bowl. (laughs) Every little thing. It really was a microcosm of the season. It was. And it was funny that the Eagles wound up winning the Super Bowl. They were one of the the more active teams in in social causes and, and Chris Long donating his salary. Uh, to, to help inner city kids. And Malcolm Jenkins was very outspoken. Uh, so they, they were sort of at the, the center of a lot of that. So was, that was another reason to, to sort of root for the Eagles. But yeah, all of this uh, in, in Hollywood with the the Golden Globes, like I said, was really special. You had Oprah Winfrey make her presidential speech in the middle of everything. Um, <laughs> you had, like, 
every every woman that got up there to present an award had a little aside to to fit in there. Uh, somebody, I forget her name, uh, she introduced the best directors uh, uh, nominees, and she said, "And now here are the all male nominees for best directors." Like, uh oh, <laughs> everyone is getting called out tonight. Everyone, no one is safe. It ain't safe out here in these streets right now. So yeah, everyone is is on guard, and yeah, I, I would expect pretty much does the same thing at the uh, at the Oscars. Yeah, it, and again, I I don't know why. Like I said, I've been I, I've almost become so cynical and turned off. Industry patting itself on the back. A lot of it. You know, and you don't realize, you know, when, when when there is something that, that sort of shines a light on all of it and you realize it's so self-congratulatory and with all the stuff that's going on, somewhat hypocritical. And, and then it's like, well, who who really who really cares what the people inside this horrible, corrupt industry think is the best of something inside that horrible, corrupt industry? I mean, it's not going to affect the music I listen to or the movies I watch or any of that stuff. So it really is just self-congratulation. Well, we'll have all we'll have all that to look forward to. We'll have Dave on if he's uh, up for doing the show with us again. To yeah, give well, his I, opinion I, I on hope all we. Yeah, I hope we do get him on because I'm, I'm sure he's got I'm sure he's got a, an opinion on that as oh, well. Yeah. I mean, sort of the cloud that will hang over we're already getting a little bit of a preview of it right here on our show you know in our in, in only the way that in the kings of non sequitur way that we can i for the life of me i still can't remember the point that i was trying to make before <laughs> i knew it was i knew it was in reference to something that i saw like a tweet or, or a post or something that i saw during the game but the hell i can't remember what it was Christ, i can't the find hell it the hell was it that's right Nobody's listening anyway. Uh, I've been debating: Do I want to uh, talk about what's been going on with uh, with me and my wife uh, the last couple of weeks? But uh, by bringing it up, I guess I'm almost obligated to talk about it now. It all depends. I I don't feel like it. Never mind. It all depends on how much detail you want. Yeah, because everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, no, 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 it's not. It's not that people." (laughs) No, we're not fighting or getting divorced or anything like that. No, no it's not Splitsville uh, or anything like that. No. Uh, but just, uh, I, I guess, to reinforce the lesson, if anyone needs it, of uh, cherish your loved ones and and let them know how you feel and try not to take the people in your life for granted because you never know how things can change. Uh, things change for us uh, a little, uh, between a little and a lot. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, uh, a week a, a week and a half ago it was last Monday yeah. actually. That uh, my wife uh, texted me while I was at work and said she was uh, feeling very nauseous and that should uh, rush home. And when I got home, it was uh, very uh, unsettling that I, I get home and there's only uh, a couple of places in our a rather modest home that my wife is usually sitting is either in her chair in front of the TV or in the bed in the, in, the, in our bedroom. And I get home and I go to the living room and she's not there. And I go to the bedroom and she's not there. 
And I kind of start getting a little panicky because I'm like, well, she called me feeling nauseous and now I can't seem to find her in her two normal places. I don't know where she could possibly be. And on my way to the really the the, third, the only other place in the house, which is the, the second bedroom, which is where I'm here now doing the show where I, I always do the show, just serving as sort of my office. Um, but she's almost never in here but there was really no other place she could be. And I'm thinking if I don't find her in here, I don't know where she, she might be. She, you know, now I'm starting to get uh, afraid that she sprawled out on the floor somewhere. Did I miss her? She, you know, did she pass out somewhere on my way to the second bedroom is when I got a glimpse of the front door. Uh, I came in in the back door and noticed the flashing lights outside of, of the ambulance. And so what happened was she decided to call, 911 while I was uh, on my way to the house. And what happened was uh, she started uh, feeling nauseous. Uh, she uh, got sick. And on our way to the hospital, it got worse. She started uh, losing feeling in her left side, uh, her leg and her arm and her face. And she expressed that when after we got to the hospital, uh, she was telling me that something was wrong, uh, that she couldn't feel her uh, arm and her her face, and her left arm was sort of dangling off the the gurney there. And hospitals being what they are, they were kind of not exactly treating it as an emergency. They were kind of, you know, taking their time with it. Um, you know, you you can't treat everything like life or death. I guess if you've been working in an ER for so long, you get a little like, okay, this is, you know, another thing and we got to go through the procedures or whatever. But the fact is my wife was laying there on the gurney telling me something was wrong and looking like she was going through hell. And it was very, very frightening. And so I'm sort of prodding these guys saying, uh, hello, my, my wife is saying that, you know, she's not feeling right, that, that something's going on here. So long story short, they eventually got their stuff together and wheeled her to the uh, MRI room and found a blockage in her neck uh, in a uh, in a uh, something connecting uh, the neck to her brain, one of those veins. Uh, there was a, a, a blockage there, and uh, they had a medicine there, luckily, that they could uh, put into her immediately. Uh, I think it's called TPA that would, would bust up the blockage. They were explaining to her and to me that there was a risk involved of more bleeding uh, with that drug, but the risk was like 5%. And so there was, uh, therefore it was very small. Um, and also it, apparently the blockage was such that it was uh, in such a delicate area that she was not a candidate to be taken uh, to a specialist to get it removed surgically. So that wasn't even an option. However, it, it was the fact that she called 911 so soon uh, that allowed them to put this TPA drug into her because otherwise, uh, I think the window was like three to four hours after you get symptoms uh, of what, what would be a blockage or a stroke uh, is, is when they can put this drug into you. And it was within that window. And thankfully, thankfully, uh, a couple hours after they put that drug into her, she started feeling better and coming back uh, to herself. And she spent uh, two days in the hospital and I was there 
with her the whole time and uh she's been back home now for a week and still recovering um mostly back to her old self but still occasionally feeling dizzy uh and uh, occasionally uh feeling tired more tired than normal but fingers crossed uh thankfully out of the woods as far as that goes um so it was a it was a a, a stroke technically, um, but I think it was a, a relatively minor one. The, you know, minor stroke is something that happens to someone else, of course. If I was, you know, if I had it, it would be a, a major stroke because it would be me. Uh, but <laughs> relatively minor, and uh, she's she's recovering. She's not back to work yet, but she's uh, feeling a lot better. Uh, but yeah, just to say that you know. Love your loved ones. Uh, let them know that they are loved, and let them know that you appreciate them. Because you never know, from one day to the next, things can can change drastically. And uh, also, for any stroke warnings, uh, as quick as possible. I, I, I now have the experience of of being able to tell you what whatever you've heard about uh, getting to a stroke victim and getting them to a hospital and getting them help as quick as possible, I, I can absolutely verify that because they told me several different people there, different doctors, different nurses told me um, it's only because she got there so quickly that they were able to give her this drug to bust that up. Otherwise, they may have had to go in and, and surgically try to remove it. It may not have turned out uh, uh, the way that we would hope. So any signs like that, uh, slurring of the speech, uh, numbness in, in one side of the body, things of that nature, trouble swallowing, uh, anything like that. Don't hesitate. Act as fast as you can and, and get that loved one to a uh, medical facility as quick as possible. And uh, thankfully, my wife was able to dial 911 and do that for herself. And thankfully, she's still with us today. So it's been a, a crazy uh, last nine, 10 days or so, but uh, hopefully we're on our way to total recovery and, and everything it, it will be back to normal soon. Uh, obviously, you got to work on changing our diet and exercise and all that stuff, but we knew we, we knew that anyway. It's not like we were the, the, the picture of health before this, but especially now we got to work on changing things up. But yeah, just... Uh, so then y'all know what's uh, what's been going on here the last couple of weeks. Uh, and if anyone's listening who's uh, gotten in contact with me uh, in the last week and, and tried to keep up and, and offered their help, uh, I'll take the moment to say thank you all very much. It's been very much appreciated. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been tough, but uh, I think we both are very much uh, recognizing and, and thankful of how lucky uh, she is and how lucky we are that things turned out the way that they did. Yeah. And I know, I know we're all glad here that everything was, you know, not that it happened, but that everything has been, you know, some, a mostly positive outcome, the, you know, the best of a bad situation. I mean, definitely, definitely lucky that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who'd be too stubborn to, to call the doctor, to call the ambulance and just like, ah, you know, I can, mm-hmm. I, I'm tough. I'm tough. I can handle this. So, I'll be all right. Know, yeah, I can handle it. You know, your wife, your wife has a sense enough to to seek the medical help and and get it right away, and ended up probably uh, essentially saving her life. I know we're 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 extremely uh, we're extremely happy here. 
that uh, everything is, has, has worked out. I know we were we were shocked when it happened. I know I fell asleep really early uh, that night that it ended up happening because I ended up waking up the next morning to you know a text from you and my my wife like oh did you hear about did you hear about Andre's wife and I was like well, huh you know it's one of those things like you just wake up first thing in the morning and you're kind of in a cloud anyways you're like what well, is this really happening um, you know. You know, you don't. You just, just you know, you you never know. That that that's the whole point. Is that just something like that, life changing things, can just can happen at a moment's notice. You know, I just you know, yeah, you, 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 you find yourself you know hugging your kids a little tighter or spending a little bit more meaningful time with people, and sometimes you just sometimes you just need that thing that shakes you up and, and reminds you of that. So we're we're I know we're definitely very glad of the fact that. uh we we didn't have to make a unplanned trip to Tennessee. But. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, I've had enough of those the last few years. <laughs> and thank you to you and your wife. You you guys sent uh, some flowers to the house, and we're very very appreciative of that. Yeah, my wife my wife right away is like, should we send flowers? I was like, yeah, that's probably that's probably it's, I mean it's the best we can do, you know, from mm-hmm. nine hundred miles away. So. Right. So we're, I'm hoping your wife enjoyed them. You know, we lifted up her spirits, or you know, put a smile on her face, even even if it's temporary. Uh, every, every little bit, try to help. So, unless you had anything else, I think we're about out of here. Yeah, look at that! Another another season in the books. Five down. Five seasons we've our been at this now. Season. We'll be starting our sixth year of. In much less detail, the podcast with Kings of Non Sequitur for the next oh, seven months. That's right. We got the the whole off season ahead of us as we uh, recapped a little bit last week. Uh, got the Oscars show coming up. We'll have a WrestleMania preview. We'll have March Badness where we make our bracket picks for the men's uh, college basketball tournament. We'll have a baseball preview. Uh, and we'll have our uh, draft aftermath when the NFL draft takes place, all the craziness that goes with that. We will have a show on the air to recap what happens there as well. Yeah, plus another probably solid eight or nine shows of just pure nothing. Sure, that's the non sequitur. <laughs> that's ex- I mean, we do it within the normal shows, but we really go – we really go kings of non sequitur, but you'll eventually, every once in a while, one of us will just text the other one and go, should we do a show? What are we? Yeah, why not? What are we going to talk yeah, about? Sure. Nah, I, don't know. I don't know. We'll think of something. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes, but we're having a great time doing it, so we keep doing it. All right. Our next show may be the Oscar show. It may be something before that. We'll figure it out as we go along. He's Jay. I am Dre. This has been, in much less detail, the podcast, our Super Bowl recap, our Super Duper Bowl recap. And it was indeed a Super Duper Bowl after all of that buildup of nothingness turned it to be a a crazy, crazy event. Uh, Twitter at IMLDDre, Jason's at IMLDJTG. Email the show in much less detail at gmail.com, all the different ways to listen to us. Uh, as a podcast, you can go search any of your podcasting apps and find us. We are on there, uh, unless we're not, in which case that app sucks. You go find another one. Uh, 
we will hope to see you back here for our Oscars preview show with Dave, the movie expert in March. And we will talk to you at that point, unless we decide to talk to you earlier. Either way, thanks for listening.